I just can't stop thinking about retirement now. Uh, gotta get, gotta shake this feeling. Just kidding. I uh, have many decades of work ahead, gladly and uh, joyfully. Well, it's been a great week uh, at the church, amazing things going on. Uh, we have our parenting course going on. People are going through the sexual integrity course at our pool party last night. Uh, people are being invited to church, uh, I know for a fact, through uh, the pool party, through our good food program this week. Uh, so just amazing uh, things happening uh, in the community out there and, and inside these walls. Well, how many people love a great story? Or at least a good story? We're naturally designed and created to be drawn to story. As kids, uh, we can just get utterly lost in a good story. Uh, these days, my kids are uh, all into Star Wars. And it's weird because I never was, and in fact, believe it or not, I had never seen the movies until last year uh, when, because my kids were so into it, because they've been reading the books about the stories, uh, I watched the first three, or what I learned is actually four through six, um, if you know that, uh, with my kids because they were so into it and they were uh, just captivated uh, through books first. Uh, of the characters, the battle, the victories, and the, the defeats, the highs and lows of their favorite characters. Well, you know, God knows that we're designed this way. And it's no surprise that God's people, uh, the Hebrews, are considered some of the greatest storytellers of all time. So if you like intrigue, suspense, irony, drama, tragedy, a little romance. First Samuel and the Bible in general actually has it all. And so welcome uh, to some of the greatest stories ever told, not only in the Bible, but really in the history of the world in First Samuel. So why First Samuel? Well, let's first talk about just this power of story. As a staff, uh, we knew we wanted to do an Old Testament book. And as we normally alternate kind of between New Testament and Old Testament, and the last series we did was in the Gospel of John, and I uh, hadn't done Old Testament actually since 2019 when we did our Exodus series. So uh, we decided, okay, Old Testament for sure, that narrows it down to 39 books. Uh, and then we thought, well, since most of the Bible, uh, and specifically the Old Testament, is narrative, that is story, we decided, uh, partly because, you know, we've done some heavier kind of textual teaching uh, lately, that we wanted to do more of a narrative book that tells part of the story of God and His people, more than just kind of a straight kind of teaching book. And, you know, I think it really says a lot about God that most of the Bible is actually story. You know, that more than the Bible being a download of information... The Bible is really more of an invitation into a story. The Bible, you know, invites discussion, which is why uh, we encourage you to be in a life group in this series to discuss these stories. The Bible is written in a very accessible fashion for most of the world and its history, regardless of your, you know, education, your background or whatever, to be able to appreciate it because everybody can appreciate a good story especially one that deals honestly with the human condition and the frailty and the ups and downs 
of life. And what you'll notice about uh, so many Old Testament books like 1 Samuel is that they rarely tell a story about an event or a person and then say at the end, and the moral of the story is, right, or and what we learn from the life of Saul is and put like a neat, tidy bow on it. Rather, the Bible actually usually leaves it open to discussion, to discern in community together, what can we learn about God here? What can we learn about ourselves? What can we learn about our worlds? And sometimes you even get stories like the person of Samson where biblical scholars are actually divided. Is he uh, kind of a good person and a hero to be emulated that we learn good from? Or is he more of a tragic figure that we can learn lessons from of what not to do? As Eugene Peterson says, biblical stories, they respect our freedom. They don't manipulate us. They don't force us. And story is messy, and it's honestly harder to preach on story because it's not very preachy, naturally. The stories don't shout God at us, and yet they are told for one reason only, and that is to reveal God and how God interacts with human beings and how human beings interact with God throughout history. But like any story, we need a little bit of historical context to really understand what's going on. Just like at the beginning of Star Wars, I've learned you need the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, here's what was happening to set up the story. Well, we have to set up the story a long time ago in a land far, far away in Israel. Here's what was taking place. So 1 Samuel is a part of uh, what we call the historical books, the books from Joshua all the way to Esther. So don't be fooled by the word story uh, that I'm using. These are real and often verifiable historical events. The Hebrews believe strongly that God interacted uh, in and through history, and it's why they paid so much attention to it and are some of the greatest historians ever. So first and second Samuel, and we actually don't know who the author is, uh, they're, they're not identified, was actually written as one book along with also first and second Kings. So it was one book, uh, but it was on, on two scrolls. So it's really the one very lengthy book of Samuel Kings, but it was later divided uh, into four books when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, what we call the Septuagint. And since Greek just takes up a lot more space uh, than Hebrew, what ended up happening is this one book got divided into four scrolls so they could fit it all, and that just ended up being four books in the Greek translation, and it just kind of stuck uh, as these four books. But remember that they're really just kind of one big book, uh, but maybe be thankful that we only have 20 messages on 1 Samuel rather than 85 messages on the book of Samuel Kings. But as a part of this very large original book of Samuel Kings, it's important to remember that this is a part of the one big story of Israel's 500-year period under a monarchy. Uh, first united and then divided. So when you came in this morning, you received this uh, brief history of Israel handout. And if you didn't, there's some more on the back table or uh, when you leave this morning. And you can kind of use this as a bookmark. You can put it in First Samuel in your Bible. And this kind of just gives you some context for the story around what's going on. But basically, First Samuel, the best way to think of it is this is all happening 
around 1000 uh, BC, and it refers to events that take place between 30 to 50 years before and after 1000 BC. And so basically think of it as uh, the halfway point between uh, the start of the nation of Israel with the call of Abraham and uh, Jesus coming, first coming there. And this is basically halfway between that. And it was probably written or put together actually in the middle of the exile, which you see that date on your handouts, uh, somewhere around 560 or so BC, uh, although some place it before uh, 722 because it doesn't actually mention the fall of Samaria. But it covers at least 100 years between the birth of Samuel and the death of Saul. So let's introduce the main characters and kind of themes that we'll focus on in this series. Uh, the main characters are Hannah, that's who we'll start with uh, the next two weeks, and then Samuel and Saul and David. And the main themes that will appear as we examine their lives and stories are the themes of conflict and kingship and covenant, and that's our, our subtitle for this series. Uh, we considered more exciting subtitles like Giants, Witches, and Wars, because those all take place in 1 Samuel 2, uh, even Sex, Swords, and Sorcerers, uh, but we went with the safer, more important uh, keywords of Conflict, Kingship, and Covenant. Uh, so let's talk briefly about each of those. Conflict. The situation here is that Israel is experiencing uh, religious and political deterioration. They're not in a good place in 1 Samuel. Internally, as the passage we read from that Paul read describes, uh, Samuel, the last judge, is getting old. Uh, and basically, let's face it, his sons are a bunch of idiots. And the priesthood is corrupt and immoral. The temple at Shiloh is in bad shape. And rather than looking to reform themselves and look to God, instead, they kind of try to take the easy road and say, well, just give us a king. We want a king. That'll fix our problems, which is going to end up actually creating a whole bunch of problems and a whole bunch of conflict, first between Samuel and the people, then, of course, between Saul and David, which is what the, a lot of the book is about, and later between the divided kingdom of the north and the south, who then each have their own king when the kingdom divides. So it's, it's sort of a mess. Externally, Israel's under attack, specifically from their current nemesis, the Philistines, and we'll hear a lot about uh, them throughout the book. So 1 Samuel is really about a nation kind of stumbling to find its way, and therefore saying, let's be like other nations, let's have a king. So let's talk about this uh, theme of kingship. Before this period in 1 Samuel, we have uh, the reign of judges in Israel, and so this is where we get the book of Judges. And in this model, Israel is actually a, a theocracy ruled by God as king. And judges are just raised up when necessary. They're kind of like Samuel. They act uh, more as kind of God's representative, but they're not necessarily rulers over Israel or kings over Israel or queens. But First Samuel transitions that model to a monarchy. And we'll talk a lot more about kingship and what it represents as the series goes on. But the main players, of course, in this kingship and conflict around it are Samuel, Saul, and David. And Samuel, Saul, and David basically comprise the three parts 
of 1 Samuel that we'll be in. So this is just kind of helpful to always know where we're at, that first you have kind of the story of Samuel, which also includes Hannah in chapters 7, 1 through 7, and that's kind of marks the transition from judges to monarchy. And then in the second part of the book, the monarchy is really established with Saul, uh, and then it overlaps a little bit with the story of Samuel. And then part three is really all about David and Saul and what's going on there, David's rise and Saul's uh, great fall. So the desire for a king um, was really a sinful desire, is what we gain from the Bible. Samuel doesn't like it. God's not really that in favor of it. But as he often does, God uh, accommodates himself to the situation without compromising his ultimate plan and desire for covenant relationship with people. But the idea of covenant becomes tricky because how do they maintain covenant with God and have a theocracy, so to speak, with a human king? So let's talk about this last theme of, the, of covenant. For those of you who are maybe unfamiliar, uh, covenant is, is perhaps the main theme of the Old Testament and just describes God's relationship and commitment to uh, Israel and a group of people in different ways and promises. And the historical books are really what we would call covenantal history, because that's the underlying current always between the story of God and Israel is covenant. And the book of Samuel, uh, it doesn't paint a very pretty picture necessarily of Israel, as we'll discover. And it's very important to realize this historical situation, that the book's being written when they have been conquered and taken into exile. This is when, when it's actually being written is a terrible time in Israel. And so they're asking the question, why are we in exile? Why are we being punished? And so the author of 1 Samuel tells the story of everything that preceded the exile and basically says, here's how you broke the covenant. Israel, here are your sins. Here's why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. It's not what God wanted, but here's why we are where we are. And you have, you know, several covenants throughout the Bible. You have the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 that God will make a great nation. You have the story of Exodus and the covenant at Sinai. Uh, and then in this book, we'll get the Davidic covenant through David that promises David would have a descendant on the throne forever as king, which is, of course, fulfilled through David's descendant, Jesus, who will author what we call the new covenant of his blood shed for us that we sang about, and we'll examine that hope throughout the book. So 1 Samuel and these historical books, they're just all a part of God's big story, from Genesis to Revelation, a story that centers around the covenant Jesus makes and finds its fulfillments ultimately in Jesus and his grace covenant with us. So that's an introduction to 1 Samuel before we actually jump into it next week. But let me just close with some uh, quick words of advice before we jump into these uh, 20 messages together on Sundays as well as in our life groups. Uh, number one is I would encourage you to read a physical uh, Bible when you're reading the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and kind of along with that, uh, to have a notebook, uh, maybe, that you're just going along with for this series and take notes. 
And I'm not saying all the staff necessarily agree with me on this, and, and absolutely it's true. Just read your Bible no matter what, no matter what uh, you're using. But studies have shown that people learn better or best from text on paper than words on screen. It's just a scientific fact that's been proven. Our comprehension decreases when we read off screens, and a lot of that has to do with, with just the implicit feel of where you are in a book and its importance on learning and retention. Uh, you know, when you're in a physical book, you just have a better understanding and grasp on where you are in the story as opposed to maybe a screen, right? You know you're in the beginning or the middle or the ends. And so how can you kind of really feel the weight of the words in the beginning, right, when you don't actually see that you're in the beginning of the book and you see how far there is to go? How do you feel or know that you're in the new covenant or that perhaps you're anticipating the new covenant that is to come if you can't really see that it's coming on the actual pages uh, ahead? And really perhaps just most importantly is how do we distinguish the sacredness of what we're reading if we do it on the, the same device that we, you know, check our email on, or play games on, or scroll Instagram, or Snapchat, or Be Real, or whatever the, the latest social media kind of trend is. And I realize that's more of a temptation for some than others, and, and for some it's not a big deal, but just call me old-fashioned. You can write me off if you want. Uh, but the, the very rapid departure uh, uh, over just the last few years from the physical text. It does concern me a little bit. So that's just a word of advice for studying, particularly when we're looking at an entire book of the Bible and, and kind of getting a feel for where we are. The second thing is uh, to read the NIV. Um, it's not because it's necessarily the best or most special. It's just our official translation as a church so that we can all be on the same page, have the same language when we're studying a book together. Uh, so that's the text that we use. Those are the Bibles that we have in the back that you're free to have or welcome at any time. It's okay if you read different translations. Uh, we're just saying it kind of makes it easier if we're all kind of reading from the same one at times. And so as a church, we just said this is kind of the, uh, the one that we're going to adopt uh, thirdly, read in community. Remember that the Bible was never written for the instruction of individuals. None of the books have that context. It's just our, maybe, maybe uh, Philemon, but it's just our official trans, or sorry, it's just <laughs> rather to communities that God has called into being, not so much written to individuals. And so we need to read it in community because that's how it was written and who it was written for. And then lastly, maybe most importantly, read it in the context of prayer and worship. I know this was kind of like an introduction to 1 Samuel and kind of gives you some historical background and stuff, uh, but don't enter into 1 Samuel as an intellectual exercise only. Uh, yeah, we should know more about the biblical monarchy factually than we should know about the British monarchy, and if not, it says something about where our affections are, where our, our hearts are. But in addition, we remember that the point of Bible study is to commune with God. And I love how the entire book or story of First and Second Samuel, it begins and ends in prayer. So in the next two weeks, you're going to see about the story of Hannah and Hannah's prayer and how important prayer is. And then Second Samuel ends in chapters 22 and 23 with David's prayer. And so just as that book is, is bookended by these prayerful, worshipful moments, let's bookend our series that way as well, in worship 
and in prayer. So I'm going to invite the bands and uh, the prayer teams to get ready. And we're going to transition to what we call our, our second Sunday soak. Uh, so Super Bowl Sunday, move over. It's soak Sunday. This is way more important. I mean it. But Danielle's testimony was just so right on, right? The power of praise to transform us, to make things happen. And so for those of you unfamiliar, our, our second Sunday soak is just an extended time of enjoying God's presence in worship and prayer and reflection. So anything can kind of happen in this time. You can be still. You can pray on your own. You can read. You can journal. You can just write out thoughts that are prevalent on your heart right now from this morning. You can pray with someone. You can come forward and receive prayer and be encouraged and prayed for by someone else. There's really no pressure to stay or to do anything in, spe in specific. We just ask that you would move casual conversation uh, into the lobby so that this space can be protected for those who uh, want to pray and, and seek the Lord and just kind of soak in his presence. We'll keep the doors kind of closed back there so that uh, there's not too much noise or distraction. Of course, if you have kids, uh, we just ask that, you know, after a song or two, you do go pick them up. And uh, then if you, if you can or want to bring them back in here, that's that's totally fine. Uh, we don't leave them there for the next 30 minutes uh, necessarily. A lot of our pastors will often stay during this time, so we're sorry if we're not there to greet you in the lobby, but uh, we want to go deeper with you in worship and prayer together. So we're actually going to close, and you'll be uh, free to go and, and be dismissed, um, whether right away or at any time. Uh, that you feel uh, it's appropriate to go. And so we're going to bless you and, and give you a benediction. Uh, but we're excited for this season ahead as we dive into this book on Sundays and with our life groups. And uh, we hope that you'll take advantage of some of this time that we've left. It's not very late yet uh, to be able to seek the Lord. So why don't you uh, stand with me for this moment of benediction. And then if you want to sit back down as you worship and pray, that's fine. Or, or be somewhere. You might want to kneel. You might want to come up front. Uh, that's fine. Or whatever it might be. But I just want to bless you with a benediction as you do go this morning and just kind of our official dismissal. And if you're open to receiving this, you can just put your hands out like this. But children of God, called together into community. Remember that the God of all creation and author of the story of our redemption through Christ, as sealed in our hearts through his spirit, has called you into his story. And so may you find your place in it both now and for eternity. And now to him, the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in his presence, go in his peace, invite those who want to stay to stay and commune with the Lord's.